All right, let's get this started. So we're going to start in a series uh, in Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. The setting is that Jesus has left. He's returned to heaven. He said, wait in Jerusalem. You'll receive power from on high. You're going to receive the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit uh, comes, you're going to be empowered to be my witnesses. And so the apostles, they wait. They stay in Jerusalem. And we call this event Pentecost. It actually coincides with the celebration of the Jewish people. They celebrate it as the giving of the law 50 days after Passover. But on that Pentecost weekend, as they're gathered as Thousands of people are in Jerusalem for this Pentecost celebration. The Holy Spirit is poured out, and it's a dramatic, world-changing event. The Holy Spirit comes. Uh, one of the great markers, or some great markers, is the sound of rushing wind. There's tongues of fire that appear above the heads of the believers. And they speak in languages not known to them, but recognized by the people all around them. And they're praising God in foreign languages. It would be like me praising God. You, you heard our Chinese fellowship uh, uh, singing up there would be like me praising God in in Mandarin, even though I don't speak the language, and and someone here understanding. Hey, I recognize that. That's what was happening. And what's what's said, what we're told in Scripture is that on that day, three thousand people were were saved and baptized and added to their number. Somebody was keeping track. Church membership started early, friends. They were keeping track. They were writing it down. People became part of the fellowship. Well, how is this group of people going to function? That's what Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47 tells us. And it's important because it's kind of the, it's kind of the prototype for the church. Now, when a prototype is, is made, it, not everything after that looks exactly like the prototype, but it sort of sets the standard, the principles, the objectives, and is something for us to model after. And so that's what we're going for here as we look at, um, the early church, and we're going to be talking about the habits of the early church and how those habits made such a, a world-transforming uh, difference. And so if you've got a Bible with you, I invite you to find Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47. If you're in the New Testament, the first book after the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Let's stand together as we read together. I love it. Someone's excited for this message as well, maybe for the wrong reasons. All right, Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 42, reads like this. I read out of the New Living Translation. It says, All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, or literally it says the breaking of bread. We'll talk about that uh, next week. And to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshipped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved." I don't know you, but I would love to have been in that church. Let's be seated together. But it would have cost you something. There would be some, you're, you're, meet somebody who's, who's got a need. And you're like, you know what? I'm going to sell my car and help them out. I mean, that's the kind of stuff they were doing. Didn't have cars, but you, you get my point. 
But I got to make a comment about the, the context, the cultural thing that was going on that makes it a little bit hard for us to even imagine doing that kind of thing. See, we live in a culture, our Western contemporary culture is highly individualistic, highly um, uh, customizable, right? Like, I want uh, exactly this item and this product. You go to, you go to Chipotle and, and you don't have to have your burrito like everybody else has theirs. You, you can do that for pizza. You can do that at Subway. You can do that in products you buy or order online. Everything's my way. Do it my way. It's how I want it done. Highly customizable, highly individualistic. And their context, that biblical early church culture, was highly corporate, highly community-oriented. You get that in some non-Western cultures today where there's a sense of, like, we do everything together. That's just how we function. If we're not doing it together, we don't know what to do. It's just like a very much more group experience and almost like a group think. And so you have already in that setting this kind of together and deep togetherness that they're experiencing. So that kind of sets the stage for what's happening, but it's good for us to know that so we can kind of understand. Now the church, what is the church? There's a word I'm going to throw out here because it, it may come up later as well, but it, it, it explains something. In the, in the, in the, when the, when the original language is referring to the church, it uses the word ecclesia, ecclesia, ecclesia. We, no one actually knows how to say it because no one speaks ancient biblical Greek. They only read it. So um, the Spanish is maybe better, iglesia, right? Or if the study of church is ecclesiology or the duties I have are ecclesiastical duties. Ecclesia was church. It's just a word that means the assembly, the people who are called to gather. That's all it means. And so they adopted that word very early on. Assembly, gathering, ecclesia. But... The other, the other thing is we have this word church. Well, so the moment we get the church, the word church, does that come from that? Well, it kind of comes from the German, Kirche, but it comes even from that. Um, Kyrios or Kyriat, Kyrios, I can't say it, you don't care. But the word meaning, the, the word meaning belonging to the Lord. Kyrios is Lord, belonging to the Lord, right? And so he, here's here's what's going on here. There's no church, I mean, uh, people belonging to the Lord, without ecclesia, the assembly. You have to have both. So you have the gathering together of God's people, that's church. Now it also just so happens that you are the church, the people, and you are the church when you're scattered and you're the church when you're gathered. So when we gather, we're here for the encouragement of one another, for the building up, for equipping, for proclaiming the gospel for those who do not know Jesus yet, and equipping you so that you can represent Jesus in the world around you. So we just want you to remember that ecclesia, assembly, and then church, meaning belonging to the Lord. Now, the the events of Acts chapter 2, in the passage that we read, underline a really fundamental truth, and that's this, that the church ought to grow. Jesus himself said, I will build my church. Hell's gates will not prevail against it. What does that mean? I will build it. It's going to grow. Sometimes people say, I don't really want my church to grow. I like it just the way it is. I want to stay small. You know, when that sentiment of, I just want it to be small, is a contradiction to the will of Jesus. 
That means for something to grow, that means there's going to have to be change. The status quo is going to have to change. Things are going to have to move. Things are going to have to get done differently. Systems that worked then are not going to work now and so on. There's going to be change. And things are going to, sometimes it's going to feel like upheaval. But that's part of growing. You know what? I don't wear the same clothes I wore when I was five years old. Why? They were perfectly good clothes. When you grow, things have to change. It's just the way it is. So the church is expected to grow. We can expect that. And the early church grew in part because of some very good corporate habits they established immediately. And that's what chapter 2, verse 42 and following is telling us. And we're going to summarize those in these five Sundays together as prayer and specifically corporate prayer. I'll talk about that in a moment. Teaching, fellowship, which includes all the gathering, uh, time together, eating together, Lord's Supper, generosity, and evangelism. So prayer, teaching, fellowship, generosity, evangelism. Those are the five things we're going to talk about as good corporate habits over this series. And it says in, in, chap, in verse 42 that the believers devoted themselves to these things. What does it mean to devote yourself to something? It means you make it a priority, that you commit to it, that this is what you do. It means you invest in it. It means you pay a price to do it. It means you say no to this over here so you can say yes to that over there. That's what it means to devote yourself, to commit yourself. Last week we talked about musicians who practice and practice and practice so they can learn their their craft very, very well. That's what it means. They devote themselves and we all benefit from it. Last Sunday, if you were here, you benefited from the way that Derek and Lauren had devoted themselves to their instruments so they could present a beautiful piece of music, right? How many were here last week who got that? Was that amazing? Give them an applause. They, they need that. So the first believers were devoted to prayer. Why? Why would they devote themselves to prayer? We're going to talk a lot about, you know, God already knows everything and why do we bother and He's sovereign and all why would they devote themselves to prayer? I think if we could interview, if we could just zap one of them into our day and just say, why, why were you guys so devoted to prayer? They would probably say, because it's what we did. It's just amazing. They were led by the apostles who were taught by Jesus how to pray, to pray and how to pray. It's important to them. They, they, they grasped it. Many of them, most of them probably, grew up in the Jewish faith, so they'd already developed the habits of both personal and corporate prayer. Prayer is communicating with God, talking with God, talking and listening. But I would say this. More than any other spiritual habit that we do, prayer indicates our devotion or our dependence on God. Let's put it that way. More than any other habit, prayer indicates our dependence on God. Let's go to that next slide. Let me just see if we can kind of burn that in a little bit. Prayer, more than anything, indicates our dependence on God. It's a way of saying, God, I, I don't got this. You got this. And the results of their prayer life give us a clue as to their motivation, why this just became so vital to them. Verse 43, we read it. It says this, that a deep sense of awe came over them all and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. 
A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. That would, I'm serious, that would be an amazing church. And we could say it this way, the atmosphere created in prayer made way for worship and for the miraculous. There was an atmosphere that was created, not only in prayer, but the other habits, but this atmosphere created in prayer made way for worship and for the miraculous. Now, I don't want you, but I've prayed for miracles. I've asked God to do healing, uh, he, to ask God to heal people. I've asked for provision. I've asked for changes in circumstances. I've asked for God to intervene. I've asked many times. I've, I've prayed for the miraculous. And I've often been disappointed. I would say I feel like my prayers have been unanswered in the way I want them more than they have been answered. I've lived with that like, God, why? Where are the miracles? I mean, we know God hasn't changed. We know that miracles still happen. We, we hear reports of those and we can, some of us have can share stories of those in our own lives. Maybe it's this. Maybe that our prayers are too much like, I don't know if any of you did any gardening this spring, but maybe it's too much like, like planting a tomato seed in the ground one day and expecting a tomato crop the next day. We're just like, come on God, we wanna, you know that sort of microwave attitude of, of God responding. See, this early church was soaking in prayer. They were devoted to prayer, not just, oh, hey, uh, you know, we, we gotta pray for Ken over here because, you know, he's, 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 I don't know, I don't wanna, you know, like he broke his leg or he needs to get his leg, you know, I don't know, whatever. You know, like, it was like they were just soaking in prayer all the time, then Ken comes forward for healing. Oh yeah, we'll pray for you too. Boom. There's, I think there was this atmosphere that had developed so that it wasn't simply coming to prayer, coming in prayer because there was a need, but it was coming in prayer because it was dependence on God for everything. And I wonder sometimes if, if it's reasonable to expect miraculous answers to prayer. And listen, we always should ask. We should always ask and keep on asking. But I sometimes wonder if it's reasonable to expect miraculous answers when we only come when we have that big need. How different, how different would we be? And I'm, by we, I mean the grand we, like as a church, how different would we be if we were devoted to prayer together? I know, I know I would be different if I was like, but how different would it be? What kind of things would happen? How would lives be changed? Most churches struggle to fill a prayer meeting. I'll, I'll be honest about that. But preceding every revival, every great move of God through history, someone, one person usually, and historically, usually kind of an oddball, I'll be honest. Historically, say there, there's people who are a little bit of a misfit, but historically, one person started praying, and that one became a few, and that few became several, and that several became the many, and then... There's a great move of God. It's happened in repeated ways. Some of us say, well, we just need to get back to prayer in school. Really? How about prayer in church? How about we start there? How about prayer in our own lives? We, 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 man, you just have to look at the news this week and you're like, like, I don't know if I just hear the news more or if it's actually getting worse, but it feels to me like it's getting worse. 
And we could just wring our hands and, and cry out for some kind of political solution or some kind of, uh, we need laws and these kind of laws. And no, we, we can fight about that all day long. What do we need? We need a change of hearts. Hearts have to change. People's desires have to change. People have to long for something beyond themselves. And we've kind of done it to ourselves. We've taught people that you just evolve from a, from a swamp that doesn't really matter. You're just, you're just a random accident in the universe. You have no kind of inherent value. You just, you know, end your life. It just, all these things, instead of saying you have value and worth, there's a Heavenly Father who created you and wants to have a relationship with you. And so we have all these, we can complain about it or we can say, God, we're going to, we're going to pray. God, we're going to express our deeply express our dependence on you, our need for you, God. And on behalf of my city, on behalf of my nation, God, I want to express my dependence on you. And what happens then is this atmosphere of readiness and expectation develops. Okay, so we said that it made way for worship and for miraculous. The other impact of their prayer together was church growth. The church grew in numbers. The other impact was church growth. Verse 47. Remember he said, this is, this is normal, but verse 47 says, each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. Listen, there is a definite in and a definite out. And I don't mean it on cultural basis and how you dress or the kind of songs you like. It's, do you believe in Jesus or do you not believe in Jesus? And the Lord was adding because of all the things that were happening. Every day, daily it says. Each day the Lord was adding. Not a few per year. Daily it was growing. And I got to tell you, as I prepared for this message this week, it's been really, really sobering. And, and troubling for me personally because... Very convicting in my own heart. And I, I want our church to grow and I, I want to grow and I want us, I want our fellowship to, to grow and expand and have a greater impact in our community in 93720 and the rest of Fresno and Clovis. But it doesn't just happen by tweaking programs and doing things a little bit better. It doesn't just happen by you know, dressing up the building and making it look and sound better, as essential as those things are, because that's good hospitality. That's part of what we do is we welcome people. And part of good hospitality is you create a place that works, functions well, meets needs. That's what we're doing with those things. But really, ultimately, we need God to move. Yes, we can remove barriers to hearing the gospel. But I need to grow in prayer and we need to grow corporately in prayer. I'm going to actually ask the ushers to help me out with a little something. Um, I've got a little surveys I'm just going to have distributed as I'm talking. If you guys could just uh, pass those out. And um, and what I'm just going to ask, if you want to fill that out, you can. You don't have to. Uh, if you've got a pen or pencil, just mark that in. You can either get it to an usher. Uh, you can turn it into me. You use the, there's a black box on the. Connection Center, you can drop it in there later. Um, because as I was prepping for this message this week, I just felt like we need to gather for prayer in a kind of a regular basis. And so the survey just asks, would you be interested in attending a monthly prayer meeting? Yes, no, maybe, sometimes. You can make whatever comments you want on there. Just a couple options. Just trying to gauge a sense of how ready are we 
to begin to gather. Church needs to pray. And I'm, I'm saying I, I need this as much as anybody. But you think, hi, I've been to prayer meetings, they were boring, or I didn't know what to do, or I, I felt out of place, or I get really nervous, or I, I, I just don't like the sound of my own voice when I talk out loud and, and people are listening. And, and we've got all these reasons of why we wouldn't want to do this. And I pray on my own. And I, I, in this church, we have amazing prayer warriors. I mean, I've had people who tell me, I pray for you every day. And, you know, I feel like I couldn't function if that were not true. So I'm really grateful for that. So I'm not really talking about the personal prayer life. That's a, it's another whole series. But I'm talking about the gathered church learning to pray together. Corporately praying. Corporate just means together. So you think, ah, oh, this is so intimidating. Why don't we ask this question? This might help us. What did corporate prayer look like for the early church, for those first believers? If we understood what it looked like, maybe we'd be able to engage so to do that, I'm just going to take you a couple chapters over to chapter 4 of Acts. Because we have the kind of first recorded prayer of the gathered church. It's, it's awesome they recorded it for us. So what's happened is that Pentecost has happened, the church is growing. And one day, Peter and John, they're going to the temple. And there's a guy there, he's, he's begging, he's lame. They pray for him, he gets healed miraculously on the spot. And it creates, creates quite a stir. And they get hauled before the authorities for basically for disturbing the peace. But not only that, for, for doing this in the name of Jesus. Remember the Jesus that they crucified and was really hoping was kind of done and out of the way. And now they see this sort of Jesus movement developing. And they're like, oh no, what are we going to do? All these people are talking about Jesus. And so they pull these two guys in. They question them. They put them in jail for a night. And they, they really are at a loss. They haven't really done anything wrong. So they finally release them and they go, uh, they go back to their group. And then it says at the end of Acts chapter four, it tells us what happened. Verse 24 says it this way. When they, that is the believers, heard the report from Peter and John, it says all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. So here's the thing. After the first major threat to the church, they don't protest. They don't, they don't like, get political, what do they do? They stop and they pray together. That's their instinctive, initial response to the crisis. I want to read the whole prayer to you. Acts chapter 4, verses 24 to 31. Because this is really helpful for us to get a sense of what it was like. Verse 24 of Acts 4 says, When they heard the report, all the believers lifted their voices together in prayer to God. O sovereign Lord, creator of heaven and earth, the sea and everything in them, you spoke long ago by the Holy Spirit through our ancestor David, your servant, saying, now remember, they're, they're quoting the Old Testament here, they're quoting the Psalms. Why were the nations so angry? Why did they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepared for battle. The rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his Messiah. In fact, verse 27, this has happened here in this very city. For Herod Antipas, Pontius Pilate, the governor, the Gentiles, and the people of Israel were all united against Jesus, your holy servant, whom you anointed. But everything they did was determined beforehand according to your will. And now, O Lord, hear their threats and give us, your servants, great boldness in preaching your word. Stretch out your hand with healing power. May miraculous signs and wonders be done 
through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And verse 31, after this prayer, the meeting took, uh, the meeting place shook and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And then they preached the word of God with boldness. Amazing. It's amazing. And it just continued to go from there. I just want to give you three characteristics and you can use an ABC as the beginning of the alphabet to help you remember. Three characteristics of that prayer life, that corporate prayer of the believers. First is this, it was audible. Verse 24 says, they lifted their voices. I think corporate prayer meetings need to, you need to hear what's going on. It should be a little bit of volume. And, and what, why, why out loud? Like, for some of us, that is so hard. I've been in, in settings where we're so scared to pray out loud. Well, I don't really know what I'm going to say. And, you know, if I pray, people are going to think I'm some major prayer warrior and I'm really not. And we've got all these reasons why we're scared. We feel like we're showboating or we're just nervous. All those things. Listen, when we pray all out loud, it encourages the people around us. Because if I'm in a meeting with you and you're prompted to pray about uh, you, you're just prompted to praise God. I just praise you as creator today. I just thank you for, for all that you've made. And it prompts something in me. And I, I join us. Yes, Lord. Uh, I just, I just love how, how you, the ocean reminds me of your great power and your consistent mercy in our life. And someone else says, yes, God, I just thank you for the way you've, you've provided the rains this year and that things are growing. It's a, you see what happens? Like it builds together. This kind of corporate, ah, this is awesome. It's rising up together. It encourages each other when we pray out loud like that. It blends together like an orchestra. It's just lifting. And sometimes we'll pray out loud individually one at a time. And sometimes we get to pray all together out loud at the same time, which is pretty awesome. And that there's some called the Korean style prayer, some called Thai style. I don't know. It's just prayer. And it's just you get to pray all together out loud at the same time. It kind of takes the pressure off because nobody's listening to you. We're just lifting our voices in prayer to God. It needs to be audible. It needs to be bold. I, I like in, in verse 29, you know, they're very, they're just going for it. And now, Lord, hear their threats. Give us, your servant, great boldness in preaching your word. They're boldly praying for boldness so they can preach the gospel. They can make the gospel known. Isn't that awesome? There's something about corporate prayer that really works when it's bold. It's not timid. I think you could say in the, the letter B, you could add brief and there it can be brief as well. That's a pretty short prayer, a couple of verses long, and obviously there was more to it than that, but it doesn't have to be long-winded. It doesn't have to go on and on. Don't, it doesn't have to use churchy words. Oh, just like all these big long words that I don't even understand, but I can barely pronounce them. Yes! The sanctification of the, of the, I don't know. I can't even think of them. I got a friend that uses Latin words all the time. I'm like, oh, please. I had to tell him. I said, you really got to stop with the churchy words, dude. I can't understand what you're saying. Right? Just be, just get to the point. Be bold. Brief is okay. And here's what's happening when we're bold. We're quoting scripture. We're, we're creating expectation. You know what happens when you're bold? It inspires someone else's faith. It's like, oh, yeah, that's good. I can, I can agree with that. Praying is all about agreement together. Yes, I agree, Lord. Yes, Lord. And so it starts getting a little, a little noisy. Have expectations. So audible, bold, and the, and the letter C is clear. By clear, I just mean specific, to the point, 
state what you're asking for. Let's not be those people who just say, Lord, we just, we just, just ask you to be, be here with us. And he's like, okay, I already am. So move on. Next. Like, right? Be clear what you're asking for. These guys, God, give us boldness so we can proclaim the gospel. God, would you move and do miraculous signs and wonders in our mix? They're telling God what they're asking for. It's just thinking about what you're saying. Don't, don't be vague. Be clear or specific about it. Here's the, here's the key. Worship team, why don't you guys come on and back up? We're going to do one closing song. Here's, here's what I love. Corporate prayer is mostly for the benefit of other people. This is where it's hard. It's mostly for the benefit of others. It's for the benefit of your community. It's the benefit of your, of your church. It's for the benefit of people you're caring about. People you want to see come to faith in Christ. It's, corporate prayer is unselfish prayer. Puts the needs of others ahead of your own. I would say the priority of corporate prayer, at least how we see it demonstrated in the New Testament, was for the salvation of others. I'm really excited next week, next Sunday. Yeah, I know we're going to have a water slide and taco truck and all that. You know what I'm excited about next Sunday? We have some people that are going to get baptized. I'll just be honest. The, The reason I do what I do is for that. So, I'd like to see that happen a lot more. But for someone to get baptized, first they need to come to Jesus. They need to come to salvation. And God's been just stirring something in my own heart, just saying, Brian, who are you talking to? Who are you inviting to know me? It's just been a pretty sobering week. Maybe that was why I was so distracted today. The priority of corporate prayer is for others' salvation. Maybe you're thinking this morning as we were in worship, I actually was thinking in my mind, faces of people that have come and gone. Here, we're just going through my mind. I'm like, Lord, what about that person? What about that person? I heard a great quote. A pastor by the name of Judah Smith said this in a message. He said, If all your prayers were answered... Would the world change or would just you change? If all your prayers were answered, would the world change or would just you change? I need to rethink about how I pray. Lord, help me. Lord, be near me. Be with me. God, help me get through this day. How about, Lord, I'm just praying for that neighbor of mine. God, would you rescue them? God, would you make us a place where people have a sense of your presence that we would see the miraculous happen. That people who have have needs would find you providing for them. Lord, relationships that are crumbling would be restored. God, would you do these things in our lives? Lord, bodies that are breaking down prematurely because of cancer or other illness. God, would you heal And just not coming when there's a need, but having a need to bring because we're there. I know some of you are just like, but I've prayed and I didn't get answers. I, I don't have an answer for that. I don't, I don't know how that works. 
But I know we keep coming. And we keep praying. We keep bringing it. If all your prayers were answered, would your world change or just your life? 